May the words I say and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So today's theme is joy. So what brings you joy? And what might bring God joy? Turn around and have a conversation with your neighbour about that. What brings you joy? What might bring God joy? So, what brings you joy? What kind of things bring you joy? Family? Joy of creation, friends. What was the first one? Family. Family. Then, then music and my people's food. Food. Music. Singing. Yes. Comfort. I thought you were going to say when you're immersed in your kiwi fruit orchard that brings you joy. <laughs> so, what brings God joy? Our presence. Our presence. Our joy. Our joy. Reverence. Reverence. Pollen? You had something or you were scratching your eye? <laughs> scratching his eye. <laughs> There's lots of books around that tell us how we can develop joy, lots of self-help books, but uh, as Franciscans we believe that joy isn't something you can grow for yourself, that it's actually a gift from God. Uh, It says that very clearly in our principles. But it is something, while that it is planted deep down, that we can nurture, we can water. So last year I talked about reading the book of joy, Lasting Happiness, in a Changing World by the Dalai Lama, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Douglas Abrams, who talked about joy uh, over, so it was a record of their conversation, um, particularly the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, um, both from the perspective of the research that's done on it, but also from the three faith traditions that were represented in that room, Judaism, Christianity and Buddhism. And three common things that came out of the research, as well as those traditions, were um, ways of nurturing joy in our lives. And so one of those was the ability to reframe a situation positively. So Desmond Tutu talks about when people cut him off in traffic, he'd get grumpy about that or reframe that into, well, that person needs to get somewhere very quickly, so I'll pray for that person. Um, the ability then to experience gratitude in the most difficult situations and the ability to be kind or generous. And those three things uh, come out of not only the research done by people who research this kind of stuff, but uh, are very explicit in those three faith traditions of Judaism, Christianity and Buddhism. 
when we reframe a situation, when we experience gratitude, when we are kind or generous, we water and nurture the divine gift of joy. So what about this morning's Gospel reading about John the Baptist and his question, where is joy in there? Last week John seemed so certain. We had the story of the baptism of Jesus and John was absolutely clear that this was the one who was to follow and he wasn't even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. But this week things have changed and we've gone on eight chapters of Matthew's Gospel and John is now in prison. And now he seems a lot less certain. And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus the great Advent question. And there's lots of conjecture about why he might have done that. And to be honest, Matthew doesn't seem to be particularly concerned about why he might have done that and doesn't give us a lot of clues. But it might be that since he was now in prison and was awaiting possible or even probable death, he just wanted to make sure that what he'd been doing was worth something, that he had been pointing in the direction of Jesus and that Jesus was who he thought he was. Or maybe, and lots of people think this, Jesus wasn't doing what John thought he should be doing. Like There just wasn't enough repentance, there wasn't enough fireworks, maybe there wasn't enough revolution. And, and John was like, this is not what I expected. Are you really the one, or should I be looking for someone else? And, and maybe he'd heard some troubling stories about Jesus that made him doubt that he was the one. And that might be behind that interesting statement that Jesus finishes his answer with, and blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me, which also takes us back to the Beatitudes. So John sends messengers to ask are you the one or should we wait for another? Which all the commentaries I read said is the Advent question. It is the question we should be asking at Advent. Every one, every one of us. And we're given permission to ask that. Like there's a thing in some Christian circles where, where you shouldn't doubt and you shouldn't ask questions. Well, people ask questions in the Bible all the time. That's how we grow. So this is one of the questions that we're encouraged to ask. And Jesus responds to that question by saying, Go and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. So what is that answer talking about? How do we read that answer? How do we understand that? Well, when we read an answer like that, we are inclined to read that as a, as a list of Jesus dealing with some medical issues, mostly. Because that's how we see the world, through science. But actually no one in Jesus' time would have understood those things as medical issues. They were spiritual issues, they were theological issues, they were about God. And so, when Jesus is doing those things... He is disrupting how people understand how God is at work in the world. The poor, the sick, all those who are listed there were often seen the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the dead, the wretched, the poor, 
They were that way because either they or someone in their family has sinned. So this was God's punishment. And the flip side of that was the rich and the powerful were blessed by God so they must be good people. That was a common understanding. It's a Deuteronomic understanding which means it's the theology of, that runs through a lot of the Mosaic law. It's the theology that runs through a lot of the history. But there are voices of protest. Job was one of the voices of protest against that. And Jesus is a voice of protest against that. We can tell that because he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. That's a voice of protest against that understanding that the rich are blessed by God. Now, it's often thought that Jesus, when he uses this answer, just as he does when he talks about these things in Luke 4, is quoting various parts of Isaiah. Isaiah is very important to Jesus and to the Gospel writers. It's sometimes called the fifth Gospel. So it was one of the ways that Jesus understood who he was and what he was on about. And so, and it's certainly a huge influence in how the Gospel writers understood Jesus. So they're constantly quoting Isaiah, quoted Isaiah again today. And in Isaiah, when, when the passages that Jesus or Matthew was quoting, people are sick, people are blind, people are poor, people are dying, not because of their individual sin, but because of the communal sin of the nation. That the, the, the kingdoms of... So the first Isaiah, there are three Isaiahs. First Isaiah is uh, when the, the Assyrians invade and conquer Samaria and then invade Judah and then suddenly have to leave. So that's first Isaiah and this is the passage we heard today is right at the end of that. Then the second Isaiah uh, which is during the exile which is about 150 years later. So it's after the Babylonians, another great empire comes through in this time, does take Jerusalem, destroys the temple. And then third Isaiah, the last five or six chapters of Isaiah are thought to be written after the exiles have returned home. And life is not as good as people thought it was going to be. They were like, this isn't what we expected. So in each of those second and third Isaiah, people or our person has taken what the, the prophet Isaiah said and have reinterpreted it to a new situation. So it's a living document. It's not just stagnant. This is what first Isaiah said. This is what he says to this situation. So, first Isaiah and second and third Isaiah, when they're talking about these kind of things, they're talking about the corruption and the greed that is prevalent in the communities that they're addressing, particularly in the leadership. The rulers, the rich, the powerful, are not living as they should. They are not caring for the poorest, the least. And because of that, the society is fractured and these things are happening. So when Jesus is healing people, it's not that he's healing medical problems. He is actually addressing the underlying injustices, corruption, greed that is going on in his society. It's, an, it's, a, it's a voice of protest against the leadership. And so, and we can see that when he talks about did you go out to the desert to see a reed blown in the wind? 
So the reed was a symbol that Herod Antipas used for himself. Uh, when he printed money, minted money, you don't print money, you mint money, uh, he put a reed on it that was his symbol. And actually, a lot of the rich and powerful had their um, summer palaces down through the Jordan and down into the Dead Sea because it was cooler down there. Um, so it was where they would go. So, you know, but he is kind of having a go at what's going on there. So when Jesus is talking about those kinds of things, he's not talking about medical issues, he's talking about not talking about individual sins, as many people would have understood it. He is talking about the communal sin, but particularly the sin of the leadership, the sin of greed and corruption, the sin of injustice, and he is calling them out. And that is the promise of Isaiah. The promise lived out in Jesus is that the reign of God is coming and that these injustices, this greed and corruption will be dealt with. And as a result of that, humanity will be renewed, the human community will be restored and creation will be recalled to how it was in Eden. Uh, this is a picture from California this year. So it's the super bloom. Um, I've seen something similar in South Africa. Uh, not quite as spectacular as this, but close. So it was um, just amazing. Wildflowers suddenly blooming. The conditions were right. Also, great for bushfires. So when Jesus is talking about these things, it's much more than just unhealing these sick people. It's actually about the society he lives in. He's declaring that the time of the reign of God has begun. And then he shows his disciples how to live in that reign. And he announces, he and in doing so he announces that he is indeed the one. And implied in that is an invitation to join in the work of that reign, in that kingdom. So maybe that's something about what might give God joy when the reign of God is present in our world. But this has been a hard week, hasn't it, to talk about joy. With Fakari, White Island, the loss of life, all the questions being asked. On a wider scale, the measles epidemic in Samoa continues while there haven't been any deaths in the recent days, the death toll, toll still stands at 72, I think. Just a lot of people in such a small community. And so easily preventable. And on a wider scale, again, election results in the UK and the climate change conference uh, going on in Madrid, where... Uh, US, Australia, Saudi Arabia, Brazil and Russia and others have been constantly working to undermine even the agreements of the, of the Paris Accord. And in Australia the bushfires continue and I could comment about their Prime Minister's attitude to that although it's difficult to tell what his attitude to that is because he's much more concerned about talking about terrorism. So where is joy in all of that? 
and might might bring joy, uh, God joy in all of that? That's the question we are asked today. I want to finish with, hopefully, a movie that works, uh, which is the Christian World Service movie for their appeal this year and um, their invitation for us to join in their work as they seek to bring joy in parts of the world. That's right.